Hello and welcome to Beckett and, a monthly podcast focusing on the work and life of Samuel Beckett alongside some of the major issues, ideas and art of our time. My name is Conor Carville and we're coming to you from the Samuel Beckett Research Centre at Reading University. delighted to introduce my friend and colleague Peter Robinson to Beckett and Peter is an acclaimed poet. He's professor of English and American literature at the University of Reading and the author of many books of poetry from the benefit forms in 1978 to most recently Bonjour Mr Inshaw in 2020 and his wonderful collected poems came out in 2017 from Shearsman. He's also published several prose works including the Constitutionals in 2019, as well as many translations and six books of literary criticism. Peter begins here by speaking about his first encounter with Beckett. Um, I get to the poems last, actually, interestingly enough. You know, so I, I, I watched some bits of the theatre when I in the Liverpool Everyman when I was a teenager, and I read the prose more or less when I was a kind of graduate student and did a little bit of teaching. But then I, and I, of course, I knew about the poetry, but I hadn't really, I didn't really come to terms with it until actually maybe the 1990s. So I think that's kind of curious. Yeah. So what was, what was the first text that you really got to grips with? Well, I think actually it was the Arène de Lutèce poem that was the one that made me think there's really something here for me to learn from and sort of identify with in a way. I mean, I think I, I think I do two types of reading. One of them is just the sort of reading where you want to know that stuff exists. And then there's another kind of reading which you, as a poet, you kind of identify, where you identify with the work and you think that it's, you know, you try to sort of come into some kind of relationship with it. What's, what, what was it that you identified with? I love the bits where he mentions the street names, you see, and where they come in at one side and they go out the other side. Wonderfully specific. Something that struck me about the poems that you chose, they really do bring out a certain strand in Beckett, which, until it's pointed out, is not immediately apparent, or it's certainly, it's not the received vision of, of Beckett and, and Beckett's poetry. I mean, the fact that they're all related to cities and the fact that they're quite specific. Yeah. In exploring... Um, some very specific spaces and the fact that it continues into the French yes in in, um, in the Merlitonade that you chose yes just those three which have all got place names in them and, yeah. and which are together yeah I read them I first read them in um, in, in the bilingual Italian uh, French Italian edition that was published by Ainaudi with translations by a chap called Giovanni Bogliolo I think or something like that and they're print they're in that book they're printed one after another with asterisks between them so i mean unlike in the david wheatley selected poems from faber where you've got this very very generous one poem on a page yeah their poems there feel like single isolated poems in the um the italian edition they look like sections from a longer poem and and at that particular point when you've got the three 
the two graveyard and the one street poems, one after another, it, I really liked the way that they suddenly seem to be talking to each other. The first two pick up, don't they? Yeah, there's certainly a, a kind of... Yeah, repeated... ah, turns up twice, doesn't it? Um, yeah. Just to go back to Arène de Lutèce, when you told me that's one of the poems that you're going to be looking at, I thought I could see some of your kind of syntax in the Could French. you really? Well, you know, it was just, it was very interesting to see. I was very interested to see what you would choose. And mm. I was, I wasn't expecting Arène de Lutèce. But when I looked at it, 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 it kind of made sense because the syntax is, is seemingly straightforward. But at the same time, it's very confusing in terms yes. of the pronoun, you know, the pronoun. I mean, I know that you're very interested in pronouns. For example. I'm very, very interested in pronouns. And I think tracking the pronouns in that poem is particularly tricky. Yeah. We can we can perhaps talk about that some more. I, yeah. But I, one of the things I, I, I think what that that point has just sort of brought up for me is that bit in, is it in Saini's one where he says, where the, the main verb? Yes, that's Saini's one. And and that also seems. I mean, I was very struck reading. I mean, if you, I think if you read all of the Echoes Bones poems, I see main verb at last. That's the line, isn't it? Oh, yeah. that's it. Yeah. I see yeah. main verb at last. Yeah. And there's an awful lot of skating around having straightforward declarative sentences in those early poems, aren't there? I mean, an awful lot of them have got lots of present participle. Sure. He's doing an awful lot of inging through these yeah. poems, and he very often, and they're all, they all seem like suspended clauses waiting yeah. for their resolution. Yeah, yeah, perhaps we should. And I, feel, um, I feel very tempted by that sort of thing, and also I feel that the whole job of the poet is to kind of resist it in the end, or to, to sort of to dally with it, but then to, then to, to resolve it. Yeah, yeah, with those, Sienes one, which you just quoted from, is from Echo's Bones published in 1935 in Paris. And we're also going to talk about Sané's two and Serena one. Mm. Um, and as you say, those those very much form kind of early style in Beckett, which we'll talk about as we go on. And then Arène de Lutèce, I think, is the late 1930s. Yeah. When he's yeah. transitioning into writing in French. And there's a change, you can see it. And we were just talking about the, it's more declarative, although still very subtle in its effects and then the merlitonades are, are much later and we're going to talk about three of those and they're much much shorter all of these will be on the website so people can consult them but i really like that selection because it does um it takes us through these three stages i mean you can make as many stages as you want i guess out of a poet's mm. career but i think it, it you know they fall nicely into three sections so perhaps we we could begin shall we start talking about the earlier poems the echo let's, the, the yes, let's, poems? let's begin with them one of the things i like is you know that, you know, that very early statement of intent that beckett wrote uh, where he says that he's adapted joyce for poetry which right. Yeah. yeah, there's a little prose statement that he that he made in the 1930s. Okay. Probably it's about 1930, must be around 1935-ish, where he's asked to write one of these kind of bio notes that we yeah. get out to write as poets. And he says that he, he studied at the Sorbonne. Uh -huh. He doesn't say that he's just left his job in Trinity College. No. But he, he says he studied at the Sorbonne and published some poems in which he's he's kind of adapting the, the style of Joyce's... Presumably Joyce's prose to poetry. Yeah. 
because yeah. he can't be saying that he's been adapting Joyce's poetry, which is a different thing again. Although I'm, I'm really struck, I don't know if you've noticed, I think I'm right in saying this, that Echoes Bones has got 13 poems in it, and so has Poems Pen each. I didn't realise that, no, that's interesting. Because he had more than that as well, I think. Yes, he, he, cut, he left some out that are in yeah. the 11th or manuscript, aren't they? I mean, you can see the Joycean. You can, can't you? fairly clearly. In, but in I was thinking poems. that you know, the, the Joyce's are, I mean, to say that you're imitating Joyce in poetry, or, it, could, it could cover a multitude of sins, couldn't it? People used to say that my very early poems were, were, were suffering from scrupulous meanness. Um, <laughs> and so you could, you, know, you, could out of, you, you could come out of Dubliners, couldn't you? And you could get this sort of urban minimalism um, yeah. of, of affect and, and very sort of you know, no, weird, no weird effects at all. Um, I mean, it could be quite Larkin-esque, in, like, like, I mean, Larkin has that poem, doesn't he? Dublin-esque. So, yeah. you know, you, you really, you could get a sort of a Larkinian kind of thing out of the early Joyce, but not out of Ulysses or, and certainly not out of Finnegan's Wake. So it's um, kind of yeah. like, which, which, which Joyce are we talking about? Well, these certainly aren't minimalist poems, are they? No. I think you can see, you can see traces of Joyce in them. You can also see traces of of Elliot. Yeah, there's a rather painful one, one, one rather painful one, isn't there, which ends with a, a, a very, very uh, Eliotic gesture. The one which ends, Lord have mercy upon oh, yeah. Christ, have mercy upon us, Lord have, that's so, Ash Wednesday, isn't it kind of out of Ash Wednesday? Ash Wednesday. Yeah, which yeah. it could be, couldn't it? Because Ash Wednesday, wasn't that published in 1930 or something like yeah. that? Yeah, San is too. Is it Sannies or Sanies? I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. What, whatever it is. So we do that first mind. one. I mean, I, I really love the one of the bicycle ride. Yeah. And with the meeting with the loved one at the end. Do you want to read that? Could we get somebody to read it with an Irish accent or something? Well, I can yeah. read it. Could you read it? Yeah. I'll I'd, read I'd, it. I mean, I'd love to listen to it and then I could, then I can come back in. And okay. Let's do it. that. Sannies one. All the live long way, this day of sweet showers from Portrian on the seashore, Donna Beat, sad swans of turvy swords, pounding along in three ratios like a sonata, like a ritter with pommeled scrotum matra cura on the step, Botticelli from the fork down, pestling the transmission, tires bleeding, voiding, zeep, the highway, all heaven in the sphincter, the sphincter. Mood now. Put walloping now through the promenaders, this trusty, all steel, this super real, bound for home like a good boy, where I was born with a pop with the green of the larches. Ah, to be back in the call now with no trusts, no fingers, no spoilt love. Belting along in the meantime, clutching the bike, the billows of the nubile, the sear rack, pot valiant, callless, wasted in rags, hatless, for mama, papa, chicken and ham. Warm grave too, say the word, happy days, snap the stem, shed a tear. This day, spy Wednesday, seven pentades past. Oh, the larches, the pain drawn like a cork. The glands, he took the day off, uphill and down dale with a ponderous fawn from the Liverpool, London and Globe. Back the shadows lengthen, the sycamores are sobbing to roly-poly. Oh, to me, a spanking boy, buckets of fizz, childbed is thirsty work for the midwife. He is gory. For the proud parent, he washes down a gob of gladness. For footsore Akates, also he pants his pleasure. Sparkling beastings for me. Tired now. Hair ebbing. Gums ebbing. Ebbing home. 
good as gold now in the prime after a brief prodigality, yeah, and suave, suave, urbane, beyond good and evil, biding my time without rancor, you may take your oath. Distraught, half-crooked, courting the snares of these fawns, these smart nymphs, clipped like a pederast as to one trouser end, sucking in my bloated lantern behind a wild woodbine, cinched to death in a filthy slicker, flinging the proud swift forward, breasting the swell of sturmers. I see me and verb at last, her whom alone in the accusative I have dismounted to love, gliding towards me, dauntless notch girl on the face of the waters, dauntless daughter of desires in the old blackened flamingo. Get along with you now, take the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, or the little single decker, take a bus for all I care, walk, catch a lift, home to the cob of your web in Hollow Street, and let the tiger go on smiling in our hearts that funds wears home. Yes, it's not minimalist, is it? It reminds me of, you know, several other poets at the time, really. Minor modernist poets, really, that mm. are collaging um, phrases together and very self-consciously being a bit naughty. Yes, it's, it, it's and one, one of the things I, I mean, he was 27 when he wrote this, I think, and it's got lots of self-disgust uh, in it, hasn't it? Yeah. Uh, it's got lots of um, longing, all very, they're kind of like proto-Beckettian, aren't they? Except, of course, that they are Beckettian, that the longing to be pre-born, you know, back yeah. in the womb, longing <laughs> to be back in the womb. Yeah. And there's, uh, there's sort of sexual, strong sexual attraction, but also a kind of anxiety about sexual attraction. Yeah. Mm. And, and then that sort of um, actually very energetic and impressive frankly rudeness at the end <laughs> yeah 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 but it's Wasn't all kind of it's very energetic isn't it and it's mm. i mean a very very 27 year old I, I i must say i really can't help identifying with it and yeah you know singing along to it as it were as as you're reading it yeah no i mean it um yeah there's almost a kind of futurist feel to it with the celebration of the of the bicycle you know, <laughs> you know i think yeah. those futurist paintings of people going very fast on a bicycle <laughs> yeah yeah although um, though somehow the idea that uh, i mean they're, they're kind of like more racing cars aren't they than, than bicycles but i think yeah. the idea of the futurist bicycle is funny well yeah. and also actually philip larkin kind of makes an appearance doesn't he with the, the pederast in the in the cycle clips well, that's part of the dis self-disgust, isn't it? I mean, yeah. there's the there's that imagery of 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 being born, and um, of being kind of you could say, I mean, you know, being assigned a gender in a way. Mm. You know, where he says the glands. You know, it's like, okay, there's the there's the essential bit of information after he pops yes. out. We know what it is. Yeah. Um, and then there's there's quite a lot of anxiety about you know about uh, you know about adopting the correct masculine role i suppose in yeah. there too you know i mean even like the botticelli from the fork down in the first stanza that's um, strange isn't it suggests a little bit of um you know kind of intersex quality to the yeah to this, gender um, anxiety or something yeah. yeah i mean i think there's a lot quite a lot of, of that in there and then there's the pederast as you say and then there's this really bizarre reaction to the this liberated 1930s woman that he kind of encounters at the end, the dauntless notch girl. Yeah, you know, Ethna McCarthy, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Mm. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it's a, San is one, San is two, 
you know, I often wonder about what exactly is the connection between these two poems as well. I mean, I guess the sexuality figures in both of them. Yeah. Um, perhaps should, could we, shall we go on to, to Sani's two? Well, we could. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think I'd perhaps, could we um, say something a little bit more about this, these particular ones that I chose and the specificity, you know, the, the place names. Sure. And yeah. the, the streets. Yeah. Because we are sort of traveling in, in, in Joyce's Dublin to some extent. Oh, so Beckett is borrowing from Joyce's Dublin. Hollis yeah. Street is, is yeah. as, okay, as, of as, as Ulysses as you could get, isn't it, yeah. as well? True. I suppose I, I very much like these poems of Beckett's in which his, his deep themes, as it were, mm. whatever they might be, are, are pegged to places. Mm -hmm. And I find myself, it's, it's as if I find myself actually, um, when, he's, when he ab abstracts it and the reader becomes dislocated from place, I become quite uncomfortable. And I, I don't, I literally sort of don't know where to put myself in relation to the poem. So I suppose this is something that, that this really distinguishes my take mm -hmm. on Beckett, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I mean, I can really see the appeal of Cascando. Yeah. And I kind of love the, the, the third part, you know, the one line third part of Cascando. Yeah. But, but I, can't, I can't quite feel with it in the same way that I can feel with these ones that take place in spaces. Right. I mean, again, that's something that I find really interesting about your choice, because you, you follow this thread through to the later poems. I mean, I could, I could almost... have mentioned... Sorry, no. I could have mentioned um, Dieppe or Saint Lo as well, couldn't I? I mean, yeah. they're very, yeah. very short, but nevertheless, yeah. I, I, I like them too. Um, but I mean, it's definitely there. You know, it's almost, you know, almost psychogeographical in a way. In There's the a thread, of, isn't there, of, of psychogeography in it? Yeah, and I mean, it's there in, it's there in the prose as well. It's there in the, you know, in the late prose and in, you know, late plays. Um, mm were, you know, specific place names charged with memory, you know, or functioning as images. Yeah. But at the same time, there is this strong impetus towards what um, I once heard referred to as topophobia in, um, in Topophobia? Yeah. How interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah. So maybe, some, maybe that's what I'm resisting. Yeah. Yeah. By yeah. my choice. Or I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm threading my way through the the this slim oeuvre as it were um i mean it's he refers to it himself as veganing veganing yeah. yeah where he um takes out the specificity or or kind of lessens it somehow yeah i, I mean i'm I, always reminded of that i did you know that robert roshenberg painting or drawing i think where he rubbed out a Oh yes, um, the, the, the erased decooning. Decooning. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> erased decooning. It's like some of Beckett's poems are almost like erased early poems. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, yeah. Well, apparently um, Robert Rauschenberg said that decooning gave him one that was really hard to rub out. So perhaps that's also, <laughs> also important. Yeah. Do me another one. <laughs> Don't lean so heavily on the pencil. Um, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I'm just looking, I've got these Italian books in front of me here, and I'm just looking at the one in Italian translation here. It's, you know, it goes, vorrei che il mio amore morisse. It's the one about, I want my love to die, yeah. and it, so it, where it rains on the graveyard and so on. And that's, you know, that's a good one too, isn't it? But it's, but that's a vacant one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
it's interesting with Sunny, you know, and it, going back to the to Echo's Bones, where you have these yeah. two pairs of poems. You have Sunny's one, which we just read, and then you have Sunny's two, and you've yeah. got Serena one, which which you want to talk about, and you've got Serena two as well. And in both of them, in those two um, kind of doubled or matched poems, one of them is set in Ireland and one of them is set somewhere else. Yeah. So it's almost like he is specifically again pitching geographical locations against each other by titling the poems in this way and having them speak to each other in this way, which again yeah. suggests the, that importance of place to him at this early, early stage. At this stage, yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and I guess that's what, that, this is um, a Joycean element, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. This is, well, this, and this is something that in order to sort of become himself, he has to leave to one side. Yeah, Not completely I, abandoned, mm -hmm. but leave to one side. Which I mean, and I think that, that possibly is something to do with the with the beginning and the topophobia and uh, that mm. that trajectory that we're talking about. But which, but one which is, as you point out, is never really, it's never completely left behind or successful. If you can call mm. it success or whatever, you know, there is this interest in place throughout the work. I mean, Sunny's too is very specific as well. With lots of, you know, the American bar. It's. It, I mean, it, it, it's like he's he's almost plotting out the territory of his 1930s, isn't it? With poems yeah. in Dublin, poem yeah. in Paris, poems in yeah. London. Yeah. He, he's he's doing his landscapes, as it were. Absolutely. In these poems. And he was. I mean, he spent the 1930s ricocheting between these three places, basically. Yeah. And so they do form the kind of coordinates of of most of the work, at this point. They also have. Um, clearly articulated subjects in the place too, don't they? I mean, it's not, not, not necessarily the case that, not clearly articulated in the sense that he, he kind of gives you a portrait of himself, but there's a first person singular mm -hmm. taking us through them. Yeah. Uh, in each case. And I guess in that sense, they're also, they're also by being located in that way, they're, they're treating the um, they're doing the sort of thing that I guess I, I also like where, you, where you know, you, it's, it's, it's a bit like fiction, isn't it? Where you, lo you locate a few characters in a space, you give them, uh, you dole out the pronouns between them um, and you have little uh, encounters or um, moments of identity questioning and things mm -hmm. of that sort going on. And it's, it's, um, I guess it's young people's poetry in some ways. Yeah, I mean, would you describe them as lyric poems or not? I think I would really, yeah. And and mm -hmm. I also think they're 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 sort of they're um, they're all kind of love poems too, aren't they? In in um, mm -hmm. in the sort of mal aimé form of the love mm -hmm. poem. <laughs> mm -hmm. they're, they're, um, I mean, not none of them are happy love poems, but no. they're all poems in which. Um, or at least they're poems in which the, the problems of sexuality and relationship are, are um, engaged. Yeah. Um, to some extent. Mentioning Muller Mays, Apollinaire also, I think, has got, has got a lot to answer for in um, some of these poems. Well, he, yes. I mean, um, Zone, of course, I don't, I'm not yeah. sure when he translated Zone, but when he said he was, of course, he was aware of it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the collaging, the urban collaging is, yeah. it, it probably yeah. comes out of, probably comes more out of French poetry, doesn't it? I mean, probably. So, yeah. 
So probably it's like Joycean materials with uh, uh, early French modernist techniques. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's um, even down to the images, you know, certain images that you find across. And Apollinaire, um, of course, has got he's got the Catholic Church in, hasn't he? So, mm -hmm. so um, Beckett doesn't have the Catholic Church, but there's quite a bit of religion. Yes, um, there is. being wrestled with. Yeah, as well. I mean, as you mentioned, you know, there's that Christ of mercy upon us, Lord of mercy upon us. Mm. At the end of Sanis 2 and in Serena 1, you've got our Father, Father that art in heaven. Mm. Um, at the end of the first stanza. Um, Apollinaire so, is more sarcastic about the Catholic Church, but nevertheless, that, that, that idea that you can play these things together mm -hmm. using collage. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it picked up, I think, isn't it? Yeah. So we have, I mean, in some ways, one of the, back in the 1970s, when Brian Coffey was still alive, I can remember there being a sort of little question about sort of what had happened to these four Irish modernists from the interwar years. Yeah. And whether there was something here that, that you know, could be, in, in the way that the 70s was very concerned about sort of recovering the, the moderns. So you're talking here about Beckett, McGreevy, Coffey and, and Devlin. That's right, exactly, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. They do, they form a sort of gang, don't they, in a way, or sort of uh, um, in the 1930s. And at least two of them were, were in fairly regular touch with Beckett, weren't they? I'm not sure about Devlin, but McGreevy well, well, and Coffey were. and McGreevy definitely were. Yeah. And you can see kind of similarities also in the poetry at, at, at the in the 30s anyway, in terms of the, mm. the long, the irregular lines and the long paragraphing sections and the multiple allusions to religion as well, although in a different yeah. way for McGreevy. Yeah, and I thought also the way you read it, it, I mean, I was very struck by how rhythmical it is. Yeah. In the yeah. reading, you know, the, 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 rhythm, the rhythmical, the, if there is such a word as rhythmicality, it came over very strongly to me in the reading so that the using the individual line as the the rhythmic unit yes and then yeah. uh, working out how to vary them yes. uh, from one to another without losing a sense of through composition and sort Absolutely. of sustained movement yeah. that's actually that's pretty well done i think you know that's a very succinct way of putting it you know i've heard it argued that these poems are just thrown together but they're clearly not um, i wouldn't i wouldn't say that yeah no. I mean, as you say, the kind of the, the juxtapositions and the, um, the working through from line to line and the contrasts and, you know, carefully, carefully patterned and, and thought through sonic strategies at work in some of them. You know, also, you could say in, in Sane is one, the way in which you've, you've got a kind of plot, haven't you? There's a, there's a, there's a kind of, um, yeah. there's the trajectory of the opening part of the poem, which then has an, an, and it is then re resolved in an encounter. It's not mm. unlike, it's got a little bit of the structure of an, imagine, an imaginable short story in it. Yeah, definite narrative. But he's going to have to sort of drop all this, isn't he? And I wonder wh whether, um, you know, there is a letter, isn't there, in which he complains about the fact that Echo's Bones only had one um, not terribly positive review in the Dublin, I think it was in the Dublin Review or something like that, wasn't it? That, so the, the thing, the book wasn't exactly you know, welcomed or celebrated no. when it arrived. No. Um, it might not um, have fallen quite as dead as David Hume's treatise, but it but <laughs> it didn't set the Thames on fire or anything. And he did say he was still giving away copies in the 
sixties, I think. Yeah, he, I think there were two hundred and fifty copies. And he was still giving printed. them away in the sixties. And he, he still had a stack of them. Yeah. Well, that's kind of reassuring for all of us, isn't it? <laughs> you know, one of my favourites is um, is Serena One, which is the the London poem. Yeah. Um, and I think you know I find it very powerful, especially the beginning, Serena One. Without the grand old British Museum, Thales and Aretino on the bosom of the Regent's Park, the flocks, crackles under the thunder, scarlet beauty in our world, dead fish adrift, all things full of gods, pressed down and bleeding, a weaver bird is tangerine, the harpy is past caring, the condor likewise in his mangy boa, they stare out across Monkey Hill, the elephants, Ireland. The light creeps down their old home canyon, sucks me aloof to that old reliable, the burning bottom of George the Drill. Ah, across the way, an adder broaches her rat, white as snow, in her dazzling oven strum of peristalsis, lime labor. Ah, father, father, that art in heaven. I find me taking the Crystal Palace for the Blessed Isles from Primrose Hill. Alas, I must be that kind of person. Hence in Kenwood, who shall find me? My breath held in the midst of thickets, none but the most quarried lovers. I surprise me moved by the many a funnel hinged for the obeisance to Tower Bridge, the vipers curtsy to and from the city, till in the dusk a lighter, blind with pride, tosses aside the scarf of the bascules. Then in the grey hold of the ambulance, throbbing on the brink, ebb of sighs. Then I hug me below among the canai until the gutter snipe blast his cerned eyes, demanding, have I done with the mirror? I stump off in a fearful rage under married men's quarters, bloody tower, and afar off at all speed screw me up Wren's giant bully and curse the day, caged, panting on the platform under the flaring urn. I was not born Defoe, but in Kenwood, who shall find me? My brother, the fly, the common house fly, sidling out of darkness into light, fastens on his place in the sun, wets his six legs, revels in his plains, his poisers. It is the autumn of his life. He could not serve typhoid and mammon. One of the things that really strikes me listening to it again is um and, and and comparing it with uh the same as one is is how different the relationship to the city is mm-hmm. and and i really recognize the feeling of being in a london that's kind of a bit too big for you yeah in, which you don't get in the dublin poem do you the, the... no and it's a it's kind of a tourist london you know Isn't it's it? like it's yeah. the it's st paul's and tower bridge and you know it's and, not swords and, and, and the Rembrandt and the um, the Vermeer. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, going up to Canwood and the zoo, looking at and the well, at the baboons. The zoo is the bottom. main figure of the of the early part of the poem, I guess. It perhaps is why it goes back to the little fly at the end. Yes, actually, yeah. Sort of the animal life in London, and he's one of the animals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's that moment where you just get the word Ireland on one line, you know. Yeah, one the the, first, the line before is talking about the elephant house, and then Ireland. For some reason, at moment that well, he says, "What well, Ireland? The light creeps down their old home canyon." It reminds me of the moment at the end of um, 
of Murphy where um, Celia is flying the kite and she looks into the distance and thinks she can almost see Ireland. A kind of moment of kind of homesickness. Yeah. Um, it also yes, strikes me. doesn't seem like home, does it, in this uh, at all? And you can understand why he never settled in London. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of Elliot in there, I think. I mean, it's very much wasteland territory, I think. Yeah. He's kind of over in that territory for some of it, at least, in the kind of Tower Bridge and near the city. And you get that, that line where he says, throbbing on the brink, like Tiresias throbbing between two lives. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, and there's a couple of, oh, yes, you know, it's like, it's like the whining mandolins. And, you know, I can, yeah, I think... Um, well, I, I think what you you might be suggesting is that the kind of the good side of the wasteland is in this one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, the kind of the evocative part of the wasteland. Yes, in, yes, uh, definitely. Whereas I think the um, the bad side of the wasteland is in horoscope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The kind of the dumping ground for all your um, all the all the stuff. You know. Yes, yeah. But yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, those sections of the wasteland where he's yeah he's kind of. Um, Actually, the earlier parts, isn't it? It's the it's the city parts of, of the wasteland. Yeah, exactly. And, the, and there's the you know there's, e there's even that little bit of kind of cockney in there that then reminds me of the About the mirror, yes, the bar scene. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, maybe we should go on to Arend de Lutesse. Let's talk about this pronoun problem at yeah. the end. Yeah. Okay. So in this poem. Um, I was yeah I I agree completely with what you were saying earlier on about the theatricality of the poem. Mm. Um, I mean it's it's set in the in the remains of this Roman arena. Um, from you know the I'm I'm not sure exactly when it's from, um, but anyway a Roman arena that um, the remains of which I think were found at the end of the nineteenth century and it's in a park in. I think Montparnasse, um, and yeah, a character. I mean, one voice seems to be in the auditorium or what's left of it on the yeah. steps, and yeah. the other two seem to be in the arena walking around. But the voice seems to be split between the two places. Well, uh, is it the voice that's split? It's, I, I, I get the feeling the voice is, is uni unified, but the, the subjectivity is split. Right, yeah. Um, and it, you know, it begins, um, we've got uh, som, you know, so there's, there's the we at the beginning. Yeah. So I suppose you know, there the debate is whether the we is two distinct people or whether it's one person doubled up. Yeah. Arène de Lutèce. De là où nous sommes, assis plus haut que les gradins, je nous vois entrer du côté de la rue des Arènes. Hésiter, regarder en l'air, puis pesamment venir vers nous à travers le sable sombre de plus en plus laid, aussi laid que les autres, mais muet. Un petit chien vert entre en courant du côté de la rue Monge. Elle s'arrête, elle le suit des yeux, 
Il traverse l'arène, il disparaît derrière le socle du savant Gabriel de Mortillet. Elle se retourne. Je suis parti. Je gravis seul les marches rustiques. Je touche de ma main gauche la rampe rustique. Elle est en béton. Elle hésite. Fait un pas vers la sortie de la rue Monge, puis me suit. J'ai un frisson. C'est moi qui me rejoins. C'est avec d'autres yeux que maintenant je regarde le sable, les flaques d'eau sous la bruine. Une petite fille traînant derrière elle un cerceau, un couple qui sait des amoureux, la main dans la main, les gradins vides, les hautes maisons, le ciel qui nous éclaire trop tard. Je me retourne, je suis étonné de trouver là son triste visage. At the end it says, je me retourne, doesn't it? So, you know, I, I, like I return to myself or something of that sort. Yeah. And then there's, there's kind of in the second line, je nous vois, you know, so I, I see us, je nous vois entrer. This is where I got this idea of, it's, there's a couple walking into the, these Roman remains and there's the, the narrator is both doing it and seeing it. Yeah. And then they seem to, the, the couple, if there is a couple, they separate at some point, don't they? She turns back. Yeah, elle se retourne, that yeah. bit there. Uh, and, then, and then je suis parti, I've left. Yeah. Something of this sort, you know, and elle hésite. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm taking it that that's a woman. Yeah. The, the only other L actually is something like it's the um, the balustrade that he holds on to, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And then there's the little, there's the in petit fille. So what we're talking about here is that David Wheatley, in his translations that he provides with the selected poems in Faber, translates la son triste visage as his sad face there. Mm -hmm. And John Pilling in his notes says that the referent of the face, as it were, who the face belongs to exactly, mm -hmm. is ambiguous mm -hmm. or is interpretable. And my question is really, if it's male, if it's his face, what's mm -hmm. the antecedent of the his? So the, as it were, that, this is my only argument for the, the reading that it's her face at the end. In other words, that the, the face at the end of the poem is, is, is the face of the L. Right. And, mm -hmm. and, and my reason for thinking that that is a, a more sort of coherent interpretation, as it were, you need to have heavy interpretation to get a him into the poem. Yeah. Whereas you don't need heavy interpretation to get a her into the poem. No, that's true. I mean, if, if it's his sad face at the end, really you're in, you're in the whole territory of the metropolitan surreal at that point. You know, you have to interpret the poem in that way as, you know, where you're into the territory of, of Poe and doppelgangers and all of that kind of yeah. thing. Yes, Which exactly. kind of, you could possibly argue is, the, you know, a Baudelarian strain that he's picking up on here, but I'm, I'm not sure if that fits... I mean, the green dog, I suppose, fits in with a, um, with a kind of a soft surrealism in the poem. I don't I think, well, so what's the point? What, yeah. What's the point of the surrealism? I, mean, I know, uh, and, and, it, and it doesn't fit with the other poetry that he's writing at this stage in, 
in French, I think, where he's kind of leaving behind that whole, um, what we were talking about earlier, the kind of the French avant-garde crossed with Joycean influence, which is a kind of standard, you know, the magazine that, that, he, that all of the Joyceans were circulating around transition, you know, I mean, this, that kind of style of Polonaire, etc., and the city collage and juxtaposition, big dollop of Joyce, that was kind of the standard position, really, for the poetry that was... Be- Whereas when he's moving into the French poems, he is leaving that behind, I think. And mm. they are they are more, they're quieter, maybe because of a struggle with the language. I don't know, but um, he can't do the same kinds of fireworks or he doesn't want to anyway, because... And feel a bit more focused. Yeah. The early poems that we, we were liking, they're, um, they're very, they're evocative and, and elusive. And um, mm. as you say, they're sort of fireworky. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. not tremendously focused yeah no no they're more like sort of glissading across a whole series of yeah. concerns and anxieties and issues yes whereas the kind of the the series of poems that he writes around this time in french are they're more kind of restrained and and, yeah. and i mean that fits with your reading is, is what i'm trying to say is that you know to kind of think of it as as being a, a rather more straightforward poem about about a, a tense relationship yeah, that's going wrong. I mean, yeah. my other little bit of evidence for it is the you know the bit where he towards the end where he he after j'ai un frisson c'est moi qui me rejoins. No, so it's me that I rejoin. Yeah. And avec des autres yeux, je 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 uh, que maintenant je regarde le sable le flaque de, d'eau mm-hmm. sous la bruine une petite fille traîne derrière elle un cerceau. Mm-hmm. That's my other little bit of evidence is mm-hmm. that, you know, as he sort of, his, his eyes are sort of, sorry about the pronunciation, as his eyes go circle, circling around the arena and he sees these grey people and so on, he sees a couple yeah. and he wonders if they're lovers. Yeah. And he, I kind of think, well, you know, so the stray dog, the little child, the couple, yeah. you don't put these details into a poem just to give a little bit of a random feeling of life. Yeah, yeah. You put the details into the poem because they're all pointing at the kind of em- emotions and concerns that you're trying to evoke, aren't you? I mean, you know, the feeling in the stray, the green dog, as it were, that's got to be about being astray or being lost mm-hmm. or being yeah. alienated. And the child has got to be to do with feelings of innocence and loss and. Mm-hmm. And the lovers, what are they doing there? If yeah. they're not a sort of parallel to the couple, to the, the we who've walked into the poem. Yeah. I mean, that, that image of turning back or turning around, uh, hesitating, features in the poem. It runs through the poems um, from this period. The backward glance and the turnaround. It's in Dieppe as well. Yes. Um, looking back. You can even, even sort of have a sense of some of the more experimental theatre in this poem, can't you, with a... Well, that's what struck me about what you were saying earlier on about um, the splitting. And he also thinks about it a lot when he's looking at paintings as well, I think, um, about this relationship between observer and observed subject and object. Well, I mean, subject and object Mm. is something that he was banging on about a lot as well in the 1930s. As we were just talking about it, really good poems, they, they, I just feel sort of, I don't know, when I'm talking about them, I feel kind of proud of them or something like this. I mean, not that I wrote it, of course I didn't write it, but you know, the feeling that it's sort of performing well under one's eye. It's doing, it's doing well. 
this one's really doing well. <laughs> it's, and that's what, that was my feeling about it. You know, it's, it's terrifically good, I think. Yeah. No, I At least, I mean, it, but obviously, I mean, the interpretation of the last line, I mean, when I've read some of what, what some of the critics have said about it and so on, the poem I like is the one in which it's her sad face that he encounters at the end. Yeah. That's yeah. a poem about, that's a poem about recognizing your role in somebody else's life and feeling. Yeah. And I think yeah. that makes it a great poem, whereas if it's a poem about, you know, being divided in yourself or something. In other words, doppelganger stuff is just more narcissism. Yeah. But yeah. If, it's, if, it, if the woman or the, the other person in the couple, as it were, is being recognized at the end of the poem, then yeah. I think that makes it a great poem. Yeah, that's very convincing. I know what you mean. There's much more feeling in it. It's less of an abstract exercise. Yeah. You know, if you... Yeah, and you can, it's, an, it's occasioned by a real pang or qualm or yeah anxiety. yeah okay perhaps we could go on um finish off by looking at the uh, three merlitonade yeah let's um well and in a way this brings us back to this problem about geography or, yeah. or psychogeography doesn't it because these late poems with the exception of only maybe one or two others are very much in the kind of vagified or abstractified or I mean, that what they do is something that I think he's he's obviously very good at, extremely good at, and has got, has got a, quite a reputation for, but which can kind of slightly get on my nerves. You know, the sort of I mean, the the Eliotic version of it is the world, the world around the world of the word, and this, this sort of thing. You know, the sort of the very kind of intensely reflexive wordplay. Yeah, and there's quite a bit of that in these, isn't there? These late, very late little snippets. Yeah, of there is. Rien nul n'aura été pour rien tant été rien nul. That kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a, in Martin Amos's um, book, auto, autobiography kind of thing, experience, he talks about how much he dislikes Beckett. And um, he, he, recounts, he recounts the story of having dinner with Salman Rushdie and um, goading him by... Um, parodying those kinds of Beckett poems or just go no no over the middle <laughs> and I think he claims he eventually Rushdie eventually asked him to step outside <laughs> but I don't know is Rushdie a supporter is that the thing yes, he was Rushdie was, uh, was Rushdie yeah. was supporting him and uh, yeah but yeah I know what you mean and well as you know I'm not criticizing him here but I am I'm but point is isn't it that you're reading through this sequence of mini poems, and you know, we, we've both got our connections with Japan, so we've we've got we've got plenty of time for mini poems, mm -hmm. I take it. Um, and then I, you're reading through this sequence, and as I say, I first encountered it in the this this little Italian edition where they're all run one after another with the Italian translations on the facing page, and you get to these three that are together, the one about the um, Arthur Kieser. Then the one about Caroline Hay Taylor, and then the one, the one about Stuttgart. And it's almost as if you're in a different, when you're reading them one after another like that, you suddenly think, what's happened to the sequence here? Yeah. It's kind of taken a swerve. And I, I kind of feel, you know, if you wanted, a, you wanted a little sort of model of a, 
of a, a Peter Robinson poem, you could just sort of excerpt those three and print them on their own with asterisks between them. <laughs> I, this is where I was, I suddenly, my eyes lit up as it were, and I thought there's something to be used here really. Yeah. This is interesting. Poems which are, are they separate poems or are they parts of a, of a, a single poem? Yeah. Uh, how do they relate to each other? It's, it's both as a sort of continuity, but as separate. I think that's very suggestive also for the way in which you could write longer poems. I mean, the way David Wheatley prints them, they really are like individual poems, which you take one at a time, because you have to turn over the page to get to the next one. If you read them in the Einaudi edition, they're like a, a long poem. They're kind of also like little postcards. Um, yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, there are poems. It was, I think it was Peter Altenberg in, in Austria who was sort of invented the postcard poem. But um, people like Lee Harwood and so on have done them. And they are now as kind of genre, aren't they? The, yeah. The multiple postcard poem. Yeah. But these ones are almost like playing with the, you know, this is what not to miss. When you yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where do they come from in this? It's like they're, it's like they're from this sort of remnant mentality or something or... They're like yeah. from an, another another Samuel Beckett. I really like him. I think Mahan Tran Derek Mahan translates at least one of these three. I think, that and he makes it quite joke. I think it's the Keyser one, and he makes it quite jokey. Yeah, from Burbles, he says one four nine. He translates the first two actually. He doesn't. Oh. He doesn't translate the the uh, Stuttgart one. Right. Do I just read them? Yes, please. Do not forget when in Tangier. St. Anthony's Church and Cemetery, the dead doubly buried beneath scatterings of flower and leaf, a bench raised to the memory of Arthur Kaiser as for you, still up and under, take a pew and sit with him in spirit here. One farther on commemorates Caroline Hay Taylor, who for ever true to her belief that there is hope while there is life, quit Ireland for the pearly gates in August 1932. Well, he, he has a go at rhyming it, doesn't he? Which is, I think, yeah. you know, Beckett's, Beckett's rhyme is fantastic, I think, as well. Mm, the rhymes are great. Irlande, elle s'enfuit au sur en août 1932. I think um, the, the, Mahan the, the Mahan translations that I read are different to those, <laughs> oh, are they? as as he often did. Yeah, very well, completely he's different. Them, has he? Yeah, I haven't got them to hand, but maybe I'll try and find them and and, and stick them so, in. So this, this is Echoes Grove, which is his sort of final statement on yeah. the translation thing. So these are the final um, re, re, rejigs. Yeah, they're much shorter and they're more and they're closer to the originals. Right. Um, the ones yeah. that I read, but they're way back. They're like, I think, seventies. Obviously, they, as you say, they're a bit like little tourist guide things. And if, like me, you're a haunter of graveyards, then, you know, I could well imagine that if I, if I, if I did go to, I don't suppose I ever will go to Tangiers, but were I to, <laughs> I think I'd be tempted to follow his advice. Well, it's, it's, and then in the Stuttgart one, it's not a graveyard. One of the busiest streets in Stuttgart. <laughs> he's talking about. I sent you. That's. I sent you a photograph of Neckar Street. Did, yes, and I, it was I, packed I with people. I mean, this this is a good poem to finish on. I think in that um, we've been talking about the relationship in Beckett's poetry and Beckett's work between specificity and and abstraction, mm. and he seems to have them both here. And where where someone else might see something that's full of life. Or that perhaps like a, a tourist um, 
pundit might suggest is the bustling center of Stuttgart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I could see nothingness. And you know, I mean there is there's that paradoxical playing that you're talking about here as well with this, you know, idea of nothingness. A nothingness that the trace of which is so strong. Yes, um, I, is that what connects all three poems to things? I Whereas guess. in the other two, nothingness is more sort of traditionally this kind of feeling that you have in graveyards where you have the great presence of the stuff in the graveyards, the yeah. stone and the trees. The, the one thing you don't have in graveyards is death yeah. or something like that. You know, death is the sort of the thing that's not mentioned in graveyards. No, that's mm. not right, is it? The, the graveyards are full of mentions of death. But if you're walking around, I don't know, I, I, I was walking around Cemetery Junction re- re- recently with um, the death of Kevin Jackson in mind. and So Cemetery Junction is uh, the wonderful name of a place close by the university <laughs> campus. Yes, <laughs> that's right. And it is one of these lovely, you know, if, if, um, if you're ever in Reading, don't miss Cemetery Junction. <laughs> well, there's a poem, Peter. <laughs> You'll have to write a burble. I have to write a little burble about that. I probably already have. Um, but it's, think... you know, it's got that doubleness in it again, that the, the feeling that the sense of, of the presence of things indicating the absence of things. Yes, yes, I think that's absolutely it. Um... And the bench, sitting on the bench, mm-hmm. um, which is to the memory of somebody, it's, and, and you know, the, the they're not sitting next to you, as it were. Mm. Yeah, and having this one at the end of this of the little little this little riff of three poems about specific places makes sense, and that it it converts that notion that those those graveyard feelings into a, a kind of metaphysical sense of of the potential of absence or something, even in a crowded place. Yeah, um, and uh, what do you think about the um the the idea of of having been here before at the end of it? Yeah. Is that to do with is that to do with going back to nothingness? You know, the I kind of read that in um again, I can't help reading these and, and thinking that he's ironizing kind of tourist touristy type puffs. So I read that as <laughs> you're you're almost there already. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. All right. kind of like, yeah. Almost like I... a wish you were here, but it's like, you know, you nail la la tre nothingness. Is the nothing that nothingness there the attraction? Ne plus It isn't what it used to be. Yeah. The trace is so strong, you're almost there already. <laughs> but I don't know, that might not be a, a very good translation. I mean, yeah, so that is that, that the play that you get in, in the Merlitonad mm. that kind of ramps up the interpretative difficulty is um, is more present in this one, I think, than in the other two. Yeah. Um, and the, similarly that you get at the end of Arendt de Lutece, that kind of ambiguity. I mean, it's there in the poetry all the way through this kind of the generation of multiple readings. But yeah. As you've as we've talked about, there's also this strong attraction to to the specifics of place in, in the poetry. And I guess what the, the what the what's the specific does for Beckett is it invites him to think of its absence or something of that sort. Yeah. Uh, it yeah. doesn't yeah. It doesn't exactly ground him. No. That's it's, a, yeah. It's, it's the opposite of what I'm saying and you know, or what I was wanting for, isn't it? That rather than the the specific giving you a place to stand points to the feeling of not having a place to stand or of um, what it would be like for it to be absent. I think that's a, that's a good place to stop, I think, Peter. I think since that's nicely put and nicely summed up. Right. Um, thank you very much. Um,